Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the marketing minds at deconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peake. The ad doctor. What a funny name I have. And this is episode 63, <laughs> another fun one. Uh, we have Jackie with us this Hi, week. Hi, everyone. Here she is. Here she is. It's yes. almost September. The year's almost done. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I was looking at my kids calendar. Are going I'm like, back oh to my school. goodness. Kids, sure yeah, our started this week. Like, Yay. Praise the Lord. They're back yeah. in school. <laughs> and your comments. All three of them. Made in jest, but for a lot of home builders or at least owners and, mm -hmm. and CEOs, this is truly, they consider kind of the end of the year for home builders because if you don't sell it or start it uh, pretty much now or early in September, you're not going to get a closing or any revenue mm -hmm. this year. So in many ways, uh, if you are not the owner listening, your owners are already thinking about 2020 pretty intently because that's when... Mm -hmm. Revenue is going to come in from this point forward. Budget planning for 2020 already? Mm. Crazy. Oh, yeah. 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 Budget plan. <laughs> nice detailed mm. plans. Let's escape the B word and, and jump into story yeah, time. That's a bad word. <laughs> Jackie, yes. what do you got for us? So I was browsing my Facebook news feed and I came across, I saw this one post, this share from a friend, and I you know, kind of ignored it. I, I went down a couple and I saw an, the same one reshared by another friend. So I was like, oh, okay, enough where I'll check it out. It, it talked about a Zillow post. And so I thought, okay, I have to look at this. And it was a Florida real estate agent had posted a house picture on Zillow that grabbed a ton of attention. And it was really different. I hadn't seen this kind of creative marketing done. And it was a house on fire. Okay. And very different, very different strategy. First, I was like, well, it's kind of a little deterring, but it was more so for the lot the house was on. And it's really funny. Maybe we can include the link, but it is actually in St. Petersburg, Andrew. So oh, yeah. This is minutes from Stones me. throw away. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny. This house in flames and in the Zillow post, it says, bring your s'mores to the campfire and build your dream home. And the oh, house, <laughs> what, so this real estate oh, agent for the, the lot itself had posted this as a way to grab a ton of attention and be different and stand out. And it is, let's see, they posted, the, it had been viewed more than 6,000 times, a bunch of different newspapers and oh, wow. TV stations actually talked about this post because it was so different and funny and mm -hmm. uh, different things like a hot new listing. Oh, and so funny. It certainly has central heating. The and <laughs> I, it's very different. I, I, to get people talking, very rarely do you see something like this that, you know, to grab people's attention. It is still yeah, for sale. It does though. seem like it's becoming more common for people to try to hack their listing, not necessarily just on Zillow, but listings in general, whether it is uh, creepy baby dolls in every photo. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's just kind of, we talked before about the people dancing, mm -hmm. doing dance videos, or like mm -hmm. just trying to use buzz or virality in combination with the listing as this particular strategy. And this is the first one actually that I've heard of where the house or home site isn't already sold, mm -hmm. but I imagine 
as long as it's priced competitively, it, it's certainly well known, especially in Florida, if people like you said, in Pittsburgh and Columbus and yeah. other places have heard about it at this point. But enough where exactly that I'm seeing it all the way up in Pittsburgh and a bunch of my friends were sharing it. I mean, that was, hey, it it worked. I'm, I'm, I actually looked it up. I was surprised it's still on the market. But and speaking of creative strategies, I had also heard that a family shared their Zillow listing link and they offered to give anybody who shared the link and it was sold that way, they would give them a thousand dollars. So using social media as a strategy to almost, you know, save the money, whether it's a real estate agent or whatever, but it was very different. I love it. Very cool. I, I love it. That's, that's an interesting take on it. I mean, yeah, not even just for home builder partners, but every home, even when we moved in 2000 or sold our house in 2007, before I had a Facebook account, I'm pretty sure. I remember just doing a lot of heavy lifting, whether that was on Craigslist or I don't remember where, gosh, I would have posted it at the time, but I remember making three or four online postings uh, and keeping up with all the photos and everything. Even though I, at the time I was using an agent, um, I was still doing all of the digital stuff for mm-hmm. her. So it's, I mean, but I, so, the only thing about this house on fire is it still always makes you curious, you know, is this good for the landowner or good mm-hmm. for the listing agent? And, you mm-hmm. know, how popular do they become as well, exactly. known as someone who can get attention, which is good for their business, but not necessarily good for this one, one home site if it doesn't go well. And the house being condemned, it's, you know, all good and dandy to an extent with your selling the lot, but then you have to be curious, humor aside, having to take the house down and to build your house and it only gets you Yeah, so that's super far. interesting. Am I going to get it? You know, Are it's... Are going to buy this one, um, So Andrew? we have, without explaining the whole market down here, because <laughs> that could be a whole long conversation. It's minutes from downtown. It's actually probably like eight minutes, but you could say minutes if, if it was like advertised. But it's still like just a little too far from where you'd actually want to be if you do like the, the Google Street View. You would totally understand. Like it's too soon mm-hmm. to like, to be like, this is a cool spot to build something yet it's almost there yeah, it's, it's like on the outskirts of like where people would want to do you know infill type work but it is yeah it's ninety nine thousand for land mm-hmm. which there's no land over this way so 46 by 120 feet so it's not big it's already torn down it's 99 it's already 000. torn down this estimate you. is 93 so. i want who knows if this 93 um, was before yeah. or after the house was torn down find out that's awesome. Ooh, I got a fun one. Andrew, what do you got uh, this, for this us? This will be finished up in the news section, but just the, I feel like I keep hearing search impression share more often that metric in Google ads. And it's super confusing. I, I think Kevin and I talked about it the other day, like we were going back and forth on it and I, I have a few thoughts on it. So first one is I think a single metric in itself. Like if you're just looking at a single metric, doesn't give you the whole picture. If you're trying to determine like, so search impression share gives you the impression that like, hey, that is the number of times my ad is being shown out of the total number of impressions. Makes total sense. But then Google has like all these variations on that. <laughs> and one that I'm liking a little bit more, if you're looking in Google ads and, you're, and you have the question in your mind, is there more or should I be spending more? I think search exact match impression mm-hmm. share is a little bit better metric to use. 
So exact match is, is really just, I wish they'd give us more details, but this is my understanding being the quote to add doctor is that it just takes a tighter view on your keywords and the regions you're, you're bidding in and makes it closer to that versus yeah. search impression shares, kind of like that, the highest level of, of impressions. So they, and they put it in italics estimated impressions versus what actually happened with the exact match impression share. Again, that's super confusing saying it out loud. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, so kind of the same idea, just reverse of keyword match types. Mm-hmm. This is impression share match types. And you're just honing in on, on a probably more realistic. Yeah, I think more realistic. Because uh, you could look at percentage. somewhere, it's like a, say like a community keyword mm-hmm. you're bidding on, Happy Acres, Florida, or Happy Acres, wherever. And search impression share might show 35%. And you're like, wow, there, no one knows about this community. There's 10 homes in it. It should be really low. You're getting two clicks a week. It's nothing exciting. You're just looking at it to look at it. But then exact match impression share might be like 95%. To me, the one that 95% is much more believable yeah. than the one where you're like, I'm really missing out on 65% of the searches right. for this community. 5% it's the of the one that's searches easier directly. Like, what do you do with that information? The exact match is more usable oftentimes. Mm-hmm. It's more usable, yeah. The other one, it's like, do I increase my bid? How's my ad? Which you could do all these things. Like, you would lose impression share either because of your budget, which then you would normally see limited by budget right. or because your ad is terrible or your website is terrible. Like if your website is super slow, Google, that's an account against mm-hmm. you in there. So that'd be like the landing page experience. But if you have really nice metrics, like your click through rate is like 30%, it's hard to believe that your ad, ad rank. So all these things that build up, like should your ad be at the top or not uh-huh. is the limiting factor. A lot of definitions <laughs> there to <laughs> To kind of decipher what I'm saying, ad rank impression share, yeah, yeah. Hopefully that makes sense for everybody. I know uh, a few are like, yeah, totally got you. Totally yeah, got you. All, all three of you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> all three of you. The other interesting thing, since we're talking about an impression share, is we don't often say names of specific companies, but since we don't actually work with this one company, I don't. I don't mind saying their name. I was just surprised that a company, we have a local builder in Texas. They're only in kind of a smaller region of the entire state. And the search impression share numbers, both overall and exact, they were at like 50, 60% on terms like new homes in, and then the geography. Hmm. And hmm. DR Horton was the only other major builder on the list in the graph that, that Google shows you if you go to the overview tab. And they were at 12. Oh, wow. I'm like, I wonder if that is just because uh, of a particular strategy they have or they're just not spending as much on digital versus older metrics. I was just, doesn't mean anything. No, no, no moral to the story. I just, since so you mentioned that. So do you think budget time, is the bigger factor? Probably. I was going to say, yeah. Knowing nothing at all about how D.R. Yeah. Horton uh, does it, my assumption is that they're just not investing enough, probably focused on brand terms or mm-hmm. community terms more so than they maybe should be. I don't know. Interesting. Don't know. Yeah. It's a fun one. Mine yeah. is but not it, fun, but it's important. Oh. <laughs> <No>. Okay. <laughs> so Shoot. had a couple calls over the past two weeks where people were asking for some advice about bosses that aren't able to help around a certain situation. Sometimes because they don't realize that there is a problem. Sometimes they are the problem, which no boss, by the way, including me, ever wants to be that that person. So usually it's not intentional, but they're just unaware that they're the problem. Sometimes it's that they know the problem exists, 
but they're not willing to expend kind of the social capital with the rest of the organization to, to fight that or try to make it better. And just people kind of struggling of what do I do when my boss is either the problem or part of the problem and just not necessarily helping make it better. It's a tough, mm-hmm. it's a tough situation. That is a toughie. Yeah. And it made me think of a couple of strategies that I've employed over my one and a half decades in home building. And one of those is to actually make the pain of the current problem worse or grow beyond just you. Mm-hmm. If you're the only one who really recognizes the pain or feels the pain, sometimes you've got to make it worse. And what I mean by that is at Heartland, I'll use this example. We had a signage vendor that was awesome. I thought they were awesome. They're very responsive, always got things done. But some of the sales managers and operations people were frustrated. And kind of breaking it apart, they were frustrated because they were trying to change signs like every three days. And so there were so many requests and changes and moving pieces and parts and just lack of a organized process because we let them go straight to the signage vendors when I first got there that they were ready to fire this vendor because they just thought this, this vendor doesn't know what's going on. Totally not fair. It wasn't the vendor's problem. Mm-hmm. But what I had to do was I, I sat down with the vendor and I said, hey, how much are you charging for these particular changes that are causing so much of the noise? Oh, we don't charge for those. It's like, okay, so you're mm-hmm. just doing it to keep the business, be a good partner. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, we just want like that is actually going to potentially get you fired. And they're right. like, what? It's like, yeah, so you and me, weren't. this conversation didn't really happen, but you need to tell me that moving forward, we need to charge whatever it is we need to charge a realistic price to make those adjustments. Because when there is no pain in terms of time or money, Mm-hmm. then it's hard to get everyone else to wrap around that in their head, the idea of why do we need a process? Cause I can just, I can just push it out anytime I want to. I can ask, make the change. And then I get to complain when it doesn't happen. Sometimes it's too easy. If that makes sense. Right. That and so that's, you know, people listening might have different reactions to that, but for me, it worked incredibly well because it was fair. One, they were not profitable as a partner and might go out of business at some point as well if they don't charge something for for those actual changes that have hard material costs to them. And two, it gave me a way to say, hey guys, we need to why why do we need to work on this process? Because look, we just quote unquote wasted, you know, mm-hmm. uh, eight hundred bucks last month alone on these changes wow. that get made every three days. Could we could we try to get a little more strategic and do this every two weeks or once a month or some other different way. And so that's just a, there's lots of tangents off of that, but that idea of sometimes you've got to figure out a way to communicate or accentuate the pain so that other, everyone else understands and, and can get on board with why there needs to be a change made in the mm-hmm. first place. Cause if it's, Very if it's just true. you holding, holding it all back, then it's also not surprising that your boss wouldn't know, know, or be able to help you. Mm-hmm. Love it. That's not a fun one, but a fun one. It's a good one. We need it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's uh, shift over to the news. All right. First up, story from digitaltrends.com. Facebook admits it was listening to your private conversations too. Ooh. I'm not sure which of us dropped this one in here. I'm glad we did, but me. I'm probably going to riff on me. it differently. It was you? Yeah, I actually have. Well, there's two parts to it, but it'd be interesting if my second 
like my real intent of it is the same as yours. Okay, yeah. It so, was inspired by a previous guest. Okay, with got Thor. It. Yes. Well, now um, I'm curious. And so you know, <laughs> the quick thing is here that like that's why I'm getting cat food ads sent to me is because <laughs> I knew it all along when I was talking about <laughs> cat food, and then a cat food ad showed up. Uh, suddenly, you know, it must have been uh, because they were listening to my conversations all along. That's not really what this is about, is it? Or give give me Correct. the context. It is here. not. Mm-mm. They were so the the context is, and Amazon does it too. I talk to Alexa all day long, maybe not all day, but probably every day I talk to her. We're friends. Is they use the transcribing, so transcription to verify is it is the AI listening correctly? In mm. essence, there needs to be a human element to check it, to train it. Right at some point, there makes sense. And that was with our guest from Door talked about like the amount of people involved. And is it AI? Is it not AI? AI needs to be trained. You have to figure out how different people talk and, and all these nuances. So I, they don't have right. numbers, but I assume hundreds and maybe thousands of people were transcribing all these Facebook conversations. Wow. They didn't have context to why they were doing it. Yeah. But you're like, wow. But they weren't transcribing sense. it for what the headline, which I think was clickbait, is trying to make you believe is. Correct. Oh, they were listening Everything, because right. they wanted for to ads. figure out how to, yeah, for ads. It was like with Alexa and Apple did it too, by mm-hmm. the way, even Apple privacy, like oh, we're the best privacy people that, ever. Apple, yeah. They had third-party contractors who were listening to the uh, Siri conversations. And the whole idea was just to say, okay, this is what the automation service heard. This is the task that was performed. Mm. Now, third-party company, you listen to what the person actually was asking the device to do. Did it do it correctly or not? So like you're saying, it's just iterating and training and saying, yes, it did it correctly or not. And someone had to listen to it on the back end. But it was not for advertising. And that's where I was going to go is like, this is, okay. this is the kind of thing that gets people all stirred up mm-hmm. and cause they probably won't read more than the headline. They'll just lean over to their partner and say, see, I told you. And then I told you on. they listen. It's like when so you upload a video yeah. on yeah. Facebook and it does the automatic transcription and then you have to go exactly. back. If you want it correct, you go back and like, oh, they spelled, they're terrible for doing like brand names are <laughs> always incorrect. So like, you, that's the one thing you definitely have to check if you do those. Like, oh, they put this weird word for our brand name. Yeah. So they're, they're doing this to try to better the AI more or Correct. less to give them. Yep. Eh, makes sense. It's, you know, AIs are babies still. Yeah. So they need, they need a babysitter. They need content. That's what essentially they're doing. Yeah. To go off of, which that's like anything else, whether it's Alexa or, I mean, it depends on how crazy you could get. I know some people, yep. anything that has potential to listen to you, I think that's automatically a thought that it's, even if you're not using it, it's still there listening. Yeah. It's now, listening. let me tell you, this maybe should have been my story time, but I just went to lunch today with a friend of mine who went to high school with, and he is a broker agent here in town. And he uses a service or had used a service called Reevaluate. And what they did was your internet service provider would see when someone's going to Zillow, typing in information related to potential, potentially moving, and then it would send an alert to whoever had signed up for the service by locale and mm-hmm. say, hey, we're going to scrub all the contacts in your CRM and see how it relates to this information we have. And we're going to tell you the ones who are most likely to move out of everyone you know who are the three or five that you should be really focusing on based upon their online use. 
And again, this is not coming from Facebook, Amazon, anyone else. This is coming straight from your internet service provider. Wow. Yep. They have those same things that no one reads called terms of service. And so they're listening in. And he, he said, you know, it was fascinating to him because it worked so well. Even people who he would connect with, they'd be like, hey, you know, they're in his system. So he knows who they are anyway. He'd call and say, hey, I know you told me you're not moving, but this system says you are. What's going on? Oh, you know, no, we're not moving, but we are looking at a home site for my parents who are going to be, you know, so there still was that activity going on mm. in their household. It just may not have been directly attributed. And that's the same reason I'm going all the way back around here. That's why sometimes you get Facebook ads. You know, I've said this before. I get stuff for makeup now because mm -hmm. I have a almost 13 year old daughter in my mm -hmm. house and there my wife go. and yep. it sees my device in the same geographic area. And so I, there's a, there's a crossing of those streams there. It's not, it's not good enough to never show me ads that are really meant for them and vice versa. Mm. Crossing the streams. So, all right, hopping over go. to the next one, searchenginland.com, demystifying visibility metrics in Google ads. And Ooh. I'm glad it says Google ads in the headline or else I'd still say Google AdWords. I know. I still type in <laughs> adwords.google.com like a bozo. <laughs> I don't know why, but this, this would be a good follow-up to my, my story as far as a reference point, because it breaks down nicely. Most of the competitive metrics is the overall category. If you're adding those columns into Google ads, as far as how is my ad performing outside of cost per click, click through rate and all those to me, the fun ones that are, are more useful is the absolute top impression share. So that's the just like it says, absolute top, like you are 100% at the very top above organic, above the maps, like very top and then search top impression share. So that's the top three. You're one of those three in there. Tell me why you like the else. absolute top so much, because that's not where we would typically be bidding or our main desire to get to. For yeah. that reason right. that you just said. So if you... Okay. makes sense. Yep. So to, to almost like make sure, it, it, and it all depends on the keyword, right? So if you're yeah. bidding on a community keyword, um, let, and let's say it is like a bigger master plan community and you really want to be at the top, so you might mm -hmm. be willing to pay a bit more. But if it is a, say, New Homes Charlotte or New Homes Tampa, you really probably shouldn't be up there. And yeah. so if you're if you are, you could be like, oh, okay, I could probably pull my bid back a little bit and save some money and get more clicks mm -hmm. within your budget. So kind of use it not to get there, but to not be there or to see where you're, see where you're at. And yep. these are replacing average position, which is neat because that number was oh, good. Yeah. So then we'd be like, Oh, let's be average position 2.0, but it doesn't give you like, well, am I 2.0 eight hours of the day or 18 or, or what number? So I think this is a little bit, little bit more context as far as where your ad actually is being displayed. Got it. Yeah, this is definitely one to click on the show notes and dive into in more detail if this is speaking your love language. Yes. Uh, but it, it is a little more technical, but it's, it's, it's a good one. I'm glad. I'm and then glad I'll finish that with, with if you're getting the clicks you want and the conversions you want, I'm in this like phase of my life. I'm like, does this stuff really matter? It, it does matter to some extent, but, but if the result is what you need it to be, mm -hmm. this... I think it could be easy to get go down the rabbit hole on some of these metrics and spend hours and hours and not have yeah. any uh, difference. To, to, at to, all. to clarify, yeah. I think what you mean there is in terms of time that could be invested in other places. So Correct. with the yeah. The I payoff guess. 
of fixing one of those things or focusing on one of those things might be 2% when you still, most people still have our experiences, opportunities to do something with all that time saved that might move the needle 15%. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's why, see, I put it out there. Kevin wraps it up in a bow, makes it nice and pretty, ships it right to you. Right on his silver platter. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Last one, marketingland.com. And this one is very, very interesting to me because I think this is going to be a little inside baseball into agencies and how they work and think and just, you know, talking about trends. But the headline is Instagram story ad shares double while overall ad growth levels out. So Instagram story ads now account for nearly 20% of ad spend on the Instagram platform. Mm-hmm. According to Ken Shu, all Ken these Shoo. different things have such fun names to try to, to make sure they get branded searches. That's a bidding tool, isn't it? I'm sure it does other so. stuff, but I think it's a Have you guys, fancy either thing. of you seen more of that story ads? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I haven't and I'm, I'm selective not- with stories. Like I don't just yeah. like go through hundred people's stories, I'll be like, oh, I want to see this person's or this person's. Okay, I'm good. I'm storied out. Because you could yeah. spend a lot of time. I'll go at through. And I feel like on my end, I I could say I've noticed one or two of those more through the loop. Yeah. But, I would agree. I I also like Andrew, I don't usually just go all the way through. I'm yeah. more selective of I just want to see this person then I skip yeah. go see that person. So I don't see them as often because they tend to run in between I'd, I'd be curious too how they, people. the metrics behind that, whether it's well, every that's couple why people, I like wanted how, to talk about this. The the metrics around this that makes everyone so excited and why everyone wants to talk about it is that the click through rate of swiping up on a story is incredibly high, hmm. but hmm. overall the delivery of how many people see that ad to begin with is incredibly low. So it's very similar, I think, in terms of when you think about email numbers of if you send an email out to a list of 50,000 people, your click-through rate is going to be lower. It's less of a targeted segmented list. You send an email to just the people who have previously visited Happy Acres, telling them about an event that's coming up at Happy Acres next month, the click-through rate is going to be much higher because the context is better. It's a more targeted segment. And so it makes sense to me that especially non-ad story, click-through rate is very high. If I follow someone, they have over 10,000 followers and they can do the swipe up, mm-hmm. the click-through rate can be you know, 10, 15, 20%. And that sounds so incredible unless you realize that for most people still who have that, that means you know we had a builder who did a show on HGTV or TLC. And I'm not trying to make it somewhat hard to guess who this is that we work with. And they had a celebrity post a link to their story or or post in their stories with a link to learn more about what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is someone who's been on TV a lot, is well known, has a lot of followers. In a 24-hour period after that story was posted, 110 people swiped up. Now, I'm sure the click-through rate is still high. The numbers are still low. Right. Overall. Hmm. And so... I think some of this makes total sense because look, individuals, as individuals, we're using stories more in our lives, many of us. And so if you're, if we're practicing what we preach, we say, well, that's where people are going. That's where we should advertise. But what I find most interesting is that when we look at any of the accounts with our builder partners, 
and on all of the of the ads that are using, I'm going to start using a new word: true Facebook, Instagram AI. Because uh, I think a lot of people are talking about we use artificial intelligence and they they really don't. They just they run ads that look similar. But the way that we're using it accurately and truly, we're letting the service determine if where it should go. And I mean, it's like Nothing. 30 to 1, 25 <laughs> yeah, to 1. Yeah, the AI minimal. is saying the better place for this ad to be to get the effective result you're asking for is Facebook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when that small of an amount is on Instagram to begin with, an even smaller amount is making its way into the story. So Kenshu, and maybe this is, I'm reading into this too much, typically used by agency agencies, whatever that means, right? Because <laughs> it, it builds, you could, you could have it and you could bill a percent of clicks or impression like on top yeah. of, on top of the ad spend. So like half a percent or a quarter or whatever. And then you could revenue source just from using the bidding platform that you could sell as, hey, work with us because we use this bidding platform. Mm-hmm. Story ads might be more time consuming to create and there might be a higher frequency of them as far as like the, I think an agency that does that could easily sell like, Hey, we need to have more story ads variety because that's how people use it. Right. They have this huge variety of stories. That's why people like stories. So to be native, well, that's the other stories, reason I say that is I tend so to see this, the same ads again and again yeah. and again and again. Oh, okay. Shoot. Okay. My theory is like, it's, it's more profitable for agencies to sell story ads to their Well, I still clients. think you're right in that, it is because there is more production if you really want to make a, a great one. There's mm-hmm. more movement. It's more like a video. You know, yep. it's just there's there's more to it. Yeah. But I tend to see the same ones more than not. So more than not. I feel like when I, I go know, through I just, mine, I'm, just, I'm quick. Like I'll take my thumb. You know, it, yeah. it just because usually tap, tap, tap. it's oh, yeah. my top five closest friends. I don't know if that's even something in the algorithm that when they mm-hmm. do that, but. I'm quick if I see something such as an ad, depending on if it grabs my attention. I mean, it's quick. I'm just going through it. Yep. So like that first, I just think this one is very interesting because I I'm kind of with you, Andrew. I'm not full foil hat, like on top of my head, conspiracy theory here, mm-hmm. but I think <laughs> stories have become the, the replacement for targeted display advertising, which we basically know does not, give you the ROI worth spending significant resources on it. And yep. I think stories are becoming kind of a replacement for agencies that were depending on that revenue of like, here's a new, better way to do targeted display. And I'm not. And I, still I just, have the, yeah, this I'm getting, I'm putting my hat on, still have like the hours of revisions back and forth of the creative and, and going mm-hmm. through all that whole yep. thing. Yep. Now, again, the final point of clarification for me is for, for influencers, for individuals, who have companies where they get paid to influence consumer behavior, stories are amazing. Yeah. Like that's, that's been the driving force is talking directly to your audience, giving a link out from Instagram, which previously did not have a great way or an easy way to do it. And so I think it's, a, it's an amazingly perfect product for what Instagram needed. And, and kudos to them for stealing it from Snapchat. Mm-hmm. But from an advertiser's perspective and a marketer's perspective, I find more value in creating archives of stories by category in your profile. I mean, you know, you want to take Ooh. model home tour oh, for sure. click yeah. here and watch this archive story versus paying to promote it to someone yeah. who doesn't know who you are yet. I like Certain that. Floor plans, I do too. Communities and your story Events. highlights. Yeah. It's back to, like you mm. said, like the targeting feel like if someone's interested, they're going to be on that page anyway. And 
if I like something, I go through those those static mm-hmm. buttons that you can click and go through the stories. Yep. I agree. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. That'll do it for the news. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will meet up with Leslie Jeter, who runs Clear Evaluations, to talk about mystery shopping services, how they're used by sales team, marketers, and operations to learn more about what actually happens once people go from being a browser to a potential buyer. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this week's 360 Topic of the Week, taking the mystery out of mystery shopping with Leslie Jeter, the president at Clear Evaluations. Leslie, thanks for taking some time to talk to us on a beautiful Friday afternoon. Thank you for having me. Now, you're in Texas. We love Texas. Uh, Great place. Mm -hmm. I will say Houston is the only city in Texas I think I have not been to. Well, you should come visit. Yeah, that's surprising to me even as I'm saying that. What's the best part about living in Houston? The north side. I'm out in the Woodlands area. (laughs) I try to stay away from the city. Yeah, I try to stick in my area. Traffic is horrible. Um, Yeah. When I I have um, an aunt and uncle and 28 cousins who live in the Austin area, and I remember as a kid going to visit them, we'd always get in the car to go somewhere and live, growing up in central Ohio, I'd say, how long is it going to take to get there? And the answer was always like, eh, about an hour, it, like exactly. everywhere, we were, everywhere <laughs> we were going. It's like, we're just going to go around the corner. How long is it going to take? About an hour. It's like, what? But traffic seems to be uh, a commonality across all of Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thanks again for joining us. And you are the president of Clear Evaluations. Tell us what Clear Evaluations is, how you guys got started, and just a little bit about the company before we dive in. Yeah, well, we are a full-service mystery shopping company. So we do everything from video mystery shops to the traditional written mystery shop, audio phone shops, of course, online shops, competitors, new hires, anything that you may need to give you that competitive edge on your business. So um, I guess how I got into this, uh, like a lot of mystery shoppers, back in 1999, I was in between jobs. And I just a friend graduated of mine, from high school. <laughs> well, okay. I'm not going to say what I was doing in 99, but I was doing something. Yeah. But I was in between jobs and a friend of mine told me, hey, you know, you need to come over here and check this place out. It's really cool. You get to wear this, you know, hidden video equipment. It's like a spy. Okay. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, started doing that. But, you know, quickly, I, you know, transitioned into a sales position. You know, that's my passion. And in 2004, my husband and I, he was the production manager for that company, which was one of the very first video mystery shopping companies that started back Mm. in 94. But uh, in 2004, we started our own company. Wow. And you you listed off all the different types of shopping services that you do. Which one is currently still the most popular video mystery shop? Okay. That, That sounds stressful, like to be the shopper, but maybe they enjoy it. It's a certain personality. It is actually. Because you you're like, <laughs> I don't want to get caught. Not that you're going to get caught. Maybe people do get caught. Hey, are you shopping me? But you have to go in and you, that, you have a script. I, we could talk about the details, but you have to accomplish certain things in your shop and somehow make it be natural. Just sounds very stressful <laughs> to me. It my is. My personality. It's, it's, it's impromptu you know, role playing and the shopper's performance is also being evaluated on video. So it is very stressful. You're right. And that is the number one concern of most video shoppers is getting through this without getting busted and not getting tripped up on my scenario. You know, they've got to be prepared. It's hard work. 
it's not as uh, it's not as easy as people think. I remember when I was at uh, Miranda Homes, probably this is 2003 to 2007, Miranda Homes in Columbus, Ohio. And we would do mystery shops of folks. And the salespeople would always be like, oh, I know I got shopped. And it was always humorous because either we were not shopping anyone at that time point period. And so we'd be like, well, that actually, that was no, that was a real person. (laughs) Or if it was a shopper without fail, most of the time, the the results in terms of the score and just watching the video is incredibly painful. And the sales manager, national sales manager at the time, great guy named John Ceranic, he always be like, look guys, if you know you're being shopped, why is your performance not the best thing ever? Like you should literally at some point do a parks and rec, the office, like look aside to the camera and smile at your boss and be like, I'm killing it right now. You know, it just was funny of, if you know, mm-hmm. if you know, it's a shopper, why not give, the best performance of your life at that point. I don't know. It's always struck me as interesting. I agree. Yeah. This is your chance. Uh, you know, you're on camera, you know, this is your moment. Make yeah. the best of it. So even from an ownership management perspective, when you talk about video shopping, I think that's sometimes a concern of my team's going to know who it is, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the end of, of a good shop experience for everybody, right? If, if the, if the gig is up in some sense, it can still be an incredibly powerful tool. Exactly. Of course, we do want it to be a mystery shop. Not everybody performs their best when they know a hidden camera is on them. So we do our best. You know, we want to make sure it's true assessment of their performance. And when they're nervous, you know, if they figure it out, sometimes, you know, we we, aren't going to get that. So it's not really fair to them. Yeah. And Andrew, too, when you were saying that must be a nerve wracking experience, Mm -hmm. that's also, I think, in reverse, what new home salespeople, especially their first year or so in the business, they experience that every time someone walks in, right? There's not a camera on them necessarily, but it's like, I don't know what objections or scenario this person's going to have. I got to, I got to get through this process, right? It's just interesting to think about it. Of and you have the exact same your thing. quotas to hit and your own you know, responsibilities. Hey, I really need a couple sales this month. Yeah. It's, I'm sure it's a lot of pressure, especially if you're not yep. in a, at uh, the community across the street from me, they're selling like 10 a month. They're almost sold out they're just hanging out, getting sales all day long. But if you're in a underperforming community, the pressure's even even higher, I could imagine. Exactly, exactly. Now, Leslie, is Clear Evaluations home builder only? Do you guys service multiple different industries? Talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, primarily home builders, but we do um, the we do some work for the apartment industry and we a little bit of retail, but it is mainly new home builders. Since you say apartments, I have to ask, is there anything that you see as being... Uh, different or unique when you compare how apartments approach the mystery shopping process or how they expect their salespeople to act than home builders? You know, I mean, it's very and, similar. Like they're, they're going to be living somewhere. So in that sense, there's a lot of similarities I'm guessing, but is there anything kind of unique? And generally you do follow the same steps that you've got the greeting, the needs assessment, the presentation mm-hmm. and the close. And ironically, <laughs> when we're training shopper to, do new home shops, we start them in apartments um, oh. because it is easier. Um, the leasing agents aren't quite as, you know, they're not high out selling high end um, homes. So mm-hmm. um, maybe they're not quite as, um, what is the word, strong of a salesperson as some of the new mm-hmm. home agents that we shop. But 
the variables are much more constrained, right? The customer's not coming in saying, well, can I personalize my kitchen here with a different countertop or, you know, cat It's like, this is the apartment. It's a little bit more like an existing home agent showing a property. You know, it is what it is at that point kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, we, yeah. we go through all the same motions, really. It is a shorter interaction, it, a quicker close. Uh, we right. throw out objections. They overcome objections. So it is similar. Yep. Awesome. And the other thing, just to follow up again with your kind of intro there is, is it somewhat common for builders to ask to mystery shop competitors as well as their own oh, team? Oh, very common. Yes. Uh, competitive shopping in the new home industry is very widely used. Pretty much everybody does it. Interesting. On the uh, Coming from the yeah. marketing side, looking at competitors, marketing and ads, it can sometimes just be like a black hole of time because you don't really know like the end result. Like, oh, is it working? Is it not working? Do you, even though that it is popular to have, you know, the builders, shop competitors, do you, do you think it's, it's, are they actually getting like, oh, we got something really good out of that shop? Like add that to the list of things that we definitely have to do. And maybe that's a really hard question to answer because that's, it's like, hey, it doesn't make sense to do it. But, but is, is that something like, yes, everyone should shop their competitors? Or I guess, what are they trying like to get are, yeah, when they're, when they're doing that competitive Yeah, there shop. are specific goals. Um, you know, everyone's going to throw out their advertise incentives when you walk in the door. But once you, you know, select a home and you get down to negotiating, what are they really going to sell that home for? So, you know, you need to know what are your competitors really selling their homes for? Not only that, uh, what are the lot premiums? What are they charging to add, you know, the porch, the game room, um, all these, you know, big ticket item options. So the whole, and not only that, how are they selling it against you? That's very important. Yeah. It's not yeah. a, you know, hey, gotcha. Although we do have some. I could imagine. You know, we do have some <laughs> situations where there is something going on that really shouldn't be going on. And we do, you know, come across those things sometimes. But it's uh, just more, of, you know, how to, the competitive uh, aspects of it. I don't know why I'm so surprised that this is happening at, at the level that you're talking about, but it makes total sense. What, again, maybe it's because I started in the Midwest where we kind of trust our neighbors. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm being sarcastic here, but my experience was always salesperson was like, "Oh yeah, I'm friends with that other salesperson in my competitive neighborhood, and you know we go to lunch and they tell me all their numbers, I tell them ours, and we share back." And I always, from the beginning, I was like, "Well, I'm I'm kind of new here. I'm fresh out of college, but." What is their incentive to tell you all exactly? Like, if mm -hmm. I'm a salesperson, I'm if someone calls, how's it going? I'm always going to tell my competitor, it's going great. Like, this is amazing. You know, I'm not going to let them, even if I am feeling differently, I'm not going to want to express that to my direct competition. So going straight to the source and, and getting that information direct, while maybe more expensive or more compli complicated of a process than just calling them up and saying, how many did you sell? What kind of discounts are you guys offering? It just makes total sense to me to spend that, mm -hmm. that money to, to know for certain before management takes action in a completely wrong direction. Right. Right. Yep. Okay. So outside of video shops, what's the second most popular type of shop that you do? I would say audio recorded phone shops. Most interactions begin with a phone call. <laughs> Got it. So, so in, do the, is do the video shops often, do they kind of add an initial phone call before they show up or do they walk in or those, do people tie those together? In many Cases they do, but in general, for the uh, home builders, we visit as a walk-in, as the average buyer does. Yeah, uh, we, do, we don't call ahead. However, we conduct the audio recorded phone shops in a separate, you know, at a separate time, usually with a different person. Got it. 
Makes sense. Okay. And so what are you looking for typically in an audio shop as signals that someone's doing something correctly? Yeah, just the same things really. You know, the, the greeting, welcoming, doing a good needs assessment, wanting to, you know, make sure that, you know, they're sincere and wanting to help you find the right home that's going to meet your needs. And most importantly, inviting you out and getting an appointment. That's the close on a phone shop. I love the fact that you just said that because we don't want them. I was going to make a joke and say, what about if they try to sell the house on the phone? That's obviously not. (laughs) I'm sure it's done (laughs) somewhere. Yeah. But you know, the appointment or or next step in the process is, is Mm -hmm. the close. And do you find that uh, historically, I know at least from listening to other mystery shop owners talk in, in years past that most video shops end with no close at all on site. Do you find that to be still true when it comes to video shops? And then kind of follow up to that closing on the phone versus closing in person, which one are people doing better or worse at? I wouldn't say most don't. Well, you know what? Most of our clients have a shopping program. (laughs) So their people know that they're being evaluated and they're Mm -hmm. trained. It's ongoing. And there's a big difference between those. I mean, we see a big difference between those that just order sporadically when they suspect there's an issue, because usually there is an issue if you suspect an (laughs) issue. But, you know, for the folks that are really invested in training and, you know, their people know what to do and they know they're being evaluated, we do see, I would probably say 75% closing. Not, uh, I mean, it, it's a much higher than, you know, you would think. I mean, they, they do pretty good. Yeah, that was my next question was just the like frequency and you, you kind of split the two different builder types, like those who are invested in training and they have frequent shops and then those who are just sporadic. For those that do invest in training, I'm sure their, you know, their results are much mm-hmm. better, but how often are they being shopped? Is this like a once a quarter? Is it once a month? Is it every week? Maybe just one one <laughs> shop? What's the typical frequency? Now, phone shops, you'll do more often. Okay. Uh, you look at, you know, call centers, how many people you have. If you're um, calling the new home consultants that are out in the models, that's different. But as far as on-site visits, the video shops, it's, cha- it's different for each company. At least once a year, some are twice a year. And then another one when they fail. You know, you get another mm-hmm. chance. And I should say that too. When you do a when you go in and you begin a, a program and do a baseline, they're most likely not going to do that great. You've got to take that shop, that evaluation, that phone shop, online report, video shop, whatever it is, and go over it, you know, figure out where the strengths were, figure out where adjustments need to be made, and give them another shot at it. Do it again. Yeah. I think it's a really big point. And that was gonna be my next question was what would you tell someone who would call you up and say, I want to do a mystery shop because I'm 99% sure I want to fire this person, but I want to shop them first. Or, or, or the, the whole idea of, <laughs> yeah, the whole idea of using a shop as a, a shop result or shopping someone, yeah. you, you know, you want to get let go anyway. Well, I think that does happen sometimes. And, and when it does, they just really want to back up, you know, something solid in the, in their file, I guess. But we did just have this happen a few weeks ago. Uh, Someone ordered a shop on uh, their whole team and came back and said, well, we're going to remove this one because she's, you know, we're we're thinking about letting her go. And a couple of weeks later, she came back and said, go ahead and shop her. So, you know, they're going to give her a chance. What was it? Was it Ford that said your employee uh, training is, oh, 
What is the tagline? Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you train them and they go versus don't train them and they stay. Exactly. Kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I do think the one thing generally I would tell builders is be careful about how you, you know, it's one thing to shop them when you have questions or think they might be like, need to be let go. It's another to in the letting go process specifically point to the shop because as soon as that message gets out, the whole concept of yeah. we shop because we're a professional team and we want to get better and improve. It's hard to kind of put that genie back in the box once someone has been explicitly fired because of a bad shop. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like the the shop is like here's your not your performance, but you have your your numbers and what's happening every day you know, every single day of the week. And then you have your shop is just a snapshot of that, which you could, you know, have your lessons from, but like your, your numbers are your numbers. I, I'm sure you see Leslie times where like, Hey, this is a good salesperson. They're hitting their quotas, their conversion rates, but they just, for whatever reason, the shop, they just were terrible and they, they looked awful for some reason. We do see that. And unfortunately it is what it is, it is, what it is. you know? Yeah. <laughs> this happened. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, sometimes they, they connect with people and sometimes they don't. Well, especially in a competitive shopping scenario, I think I've told this story before on the podcast, but I went to the number one selling community in all of Charlotte as a mystery shopper. My current builder, every time I visit someone, I have them drop me off. I say, come back and pick me up in 10 to 15 minutes. I walk in, I explain that I'm an investor who happens to be in town. I've got to get to the airport, so I don't have a lot of time, but I just want information on inventory or or good values as a real estate investor. And I go into this number one performing community in all of Charlotte and unsolved mysteries is playing when I open the door <laughs> because they had, they had wired the TV wow. and the volume was up super high. So I hear this weird, creepy music. I see shoes like they had taken off their shoes or something, but I went through both models or two models in this park. I could not find the salesperson like the whole experience was absolutely awful. And yet this is the number one selling community. And the reality is that 90% of the sales were coming from real estate agents. And mm -hmm. so the salesperson really didn't care if someone walked in the door or not. So you learn different things, even in that mm -hmm. scenario of maybe that person should be let go because they left both models unlocked with no signs, no information, no nothing. I was there for about 20 minutes, never saw them. It paints the full picture of why are we losing sales to this builder? Well, it's not because of the amazing job that the salesperson is doing necessarily in their presentation and report building <laughs> process. So. Uh, I have a story like that too. It's a little funnier though. We love stories. Oh, we <laughs> yeah. love funny stories. Yes. Oh, we had it. This was years ago. We had a builder uh, suspect there was an issue. He asked us to do a shop on a Sunday. And I went ahead, my husband and I did it ourselves because it was way out, way out north of Houston. It was a good ways out there. It was on a Sunday. I wasn't going to ask one of our shoppers to do that way out there. And we walk in and the guy's sitting on the couch watching the game with a beer. <laughs> with a beer. Um. <laughs> Asked my husband if he would like one. <laughs> okay. It was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, it was a it was a small builder. It wasn't one of the you know larger national builders, but oh, man. it happened. That's funny. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, now we talked. Um, I think last week or a couple weeks ago, Mike Lyon came on and we kind of broke the news on the podcast about the, our partnership on the online mystery shopping service, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But one of the things, as we we've, we've been working with you now, kind of in the background for almost eight nine months, maybe even longer. Mm -hmm. 
one of the things that drew us to you, besides the fact that everyone who was already using you that was a home builder loved the experience, was your reporting dashboard tool. Talk a little bit about how, because when I was a builder, we got Mystery Shops back originally with, here's your VCR cassette tape and a printout of their scorecard, mm-hmm. probably faxed over or something uh, crazy. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of the world. And then it was, here's an online portal. You can go in to watch it. But talk to about how you kind of collect all the data and present it in this unified dashboard. Oh, yes. Mystery shopping has evolved so much since then. With the uh, invention of the internet, we can deliver instant results. The reporting, you can just quickly run reports and pinpoint what areas you need to focus training on, what areas are we falling short on, what areas are we doing great in. We've got reports that you can run, you know, comparing areas of, you know, sales managers in the areas, their teams, yeah. drilling down to each, you know, section, the greeting, the needs assessment, presentation and close. But yeah, the reporting is very user-friendly. It's yeah, and it's web-based. And so it, it keeps a, a history of all the shops that that particular company has ordered from you. Mm-hmm. Correct? Correct. Because that's like, that never came up in the times when I was working for a builder and we would shop our teams was, it, there was never a discussion of, well, how did they do three years ago or potentially mm-hmm. even the last time because someone lost that piece of paper or who's, who wants to keep the, all the VCR tapes of all the shops you've done. <laughs> so this having a historical record that you can reference by geography, by salesperson, by location, whatever, and, and in a visual way on, on a web-based system is really the first time that we had seen it done quite the way that you guys had had it set up, and it was super impressive. Well, thank you. We think so, too. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about the online shopping service and anything from your perspective on the evolution of when when Mike and Jen first reached out and started talking about this. Was there a difference in terms of how we were thinking about approaching it to, to how maybe you had done it in the past or talk to like what was your initial reaction when you saw how we performed shops online? Was there initial like uh, that seems like a lot or not enough or I was, you know, I was impressed because, well, the title of the the survey that you guys developed is the comprehensive <laughs> shop. And indeed it is. <laughs> it is uh, very detailed and it takes you through, you know, the first, you know, contact the customer has on the website to, you know, 30 days later, all the correspondence that was collected, the, you know, text, emails, the video emails, phone calls. And then finally, the shopper makes an audio recorded phone shop. And then further follow up after that, you've, uh, you know, you're tracking the appointment being set with the new home consultant and the model. And what we, you know, of course we, you know, we had online shops before, but we'd never took it that far. Um, It was a 24 to 48 hour, you know, correspondence. How quickly did they respond? So Mm -hmm. uh, nothing compared to what, what we're doing with you guys. And there might be a good argument of blending the two in terms of frequency, right? That comprehensive may need to be done slightly less often on the team and those because because there's no doubt if Mike was on here with us he would certainly say that that initial you know 48 hours to one week is and the speed and the personalization of that follow-up and all the different forms that that can take is certainly the most important but what a lot of people do is they give up after that first three or four days of really good solid and put air quotes here because generally it's still somewhat lackluster <laughs> across the industry but you know, I, I tried really hard in the first four days. I followed up twice, one email and one phone call. 
but having that longer term view, because that is, it's still an opportunity to pick up a good number of sales each year, uh, without a doubt, that consistent long-term follow-up. Definitely. Yeah. And it, it, and it's good, I guess, to answer your question. It, it is good to mix yeah. things up a little bit. Yeah. No yeah. reason not to do it at all. But what we saw was, wow, here's a, and this is always what we look for in any type of, of relationship where we do partner more closely with someone is, do their current, are there, how happy are their current customers? Your current customers were like all over the internet saying there's people are the best ever. If you're going to use a mystery shopping service, use them. But mm-hmm. then also that, that web-based reporting tool spoke our geek language of like, this is what builders need because no one has time to go through different paper reports. And certainly is it going to compile that into an Excel spreadsheet or data studio dashboard report? Or, you know, it was just, it seemed like the per- perfect opportunity to infuse a little bit of the specific nature of how we've conducted our shops historically and the system and the process that you had set up in such an amazing company. Mm-hmm. So this is as close as it comes to a, a commercial segment on our podcast. We don't do advertisements, but <laughs> it's, um, it's, yeah, this is it. This, it, it's been awesome to, to talk to you about, about all this and, uh, very excited to see people taking advantage of, you know, the, do you convert methodology backed by a company so reliable as clear evaluations. So well, super, thank super thankful that this has worked out the way it has. Thank you. I feel the same. All right. Well, we're going to see you, Leslie, you're coming to the online summit. I am. Awesome. In Chicago. Awesome. And someone told me, I'm not sure how I picked this up, Leslie, that you might not be the, you know, I want to give a talk in front of 200 people kind of person. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. You heard that. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're Who more of a covert spy yeah. with a secret hidden camera. Go. We, we, we are getting up. shocked at the summit. But if you have, yeah, right. If, if you have questions, uh, Leslie will be there and, and uh, very easy to talk to you one-on-one. She'd love to, to talk to you more about what you need specifically. Yes. All right. We don't always do this, but I, I try to when I remember. Leslie, what would you say is your superpower? What, what are you really good at? It doesn't have to be mystery shopping. <laughs> like something I, that, and not like a stupid human trick either, but just something that, that you're, you would say, if, if people didn't know me very well, this is what they need to know that I, that I do well. Oh, I'm a multitasker. That was, that was easy. <laughs> okay. Not a very exciting answer, but. Yeah. Well, I think you have a, I think you have an unfair advantage because you're a female and they tend, you, you tend to be better at multitasking ah. than, than men, at least most stats that you read. So that's good. That's a good trait in the president of a, of an organization so. too. Yeah. Is kind of forced in it. You juggle. don't have a choice, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I'm going to pull one from Jeff Shore's podcast, your favorite music album of all time. Journey. <laughs> Ooh. All right. There we go. Oh, uh, yeah. Memories. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, Leslie, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we'll link in the show notes all the different ways you can connect with Clear Evaluations, the shopping service that we've partnered on, and Leslie, if you want to reach out and connect on LinkedIn, all those links will be in the show notes. Thanks again, Leslie. Thank you. Bye. Couldn't be more excited about having kind of the first Do You Convert product, but the ability to, to let everyone have access to how we've done mystery shops, which are intensive. I mean, I mean, this is how we've done mystery shops internally. Uh, Jen, Mike, Kim, I've been involved in a few, I think, over the years as well. And it's, it's time intensive. So 
just couldn't be more excited to be partnering with Clear Evaluations. And thanks again to Leslie for joining us. Let's skip over to the answers to last week's question of the week, which was, Jackie, go ahead. Read it so out So last us. week's was, does your builder currently use unattended access of any form? If so, how's it working? If not, are you considering it? So unattended and- access, Ooh. I think we should have... I don't know if we just chose a, a strange word because some of the people who said what's unintended access, I've talked to you about this. So I think I'm not sure <laughs> Maybe if we just now if they Yeah. Do they rec is is that like a Kleenex sort of situation? They recognize the brand name more than right, it's what it is? Probably so. Internow is definitely probably the 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 most recognized one by many people in our industry. But the ability to get access to a model home or inventory home without a salesperson outside of regular hours. unattended access to a product for touring without a salesperson is generally what we're talking about. And so the majority uh, said, no, we don't use it, including again, a lot of really smart names of people that I know, but they're just, they're not ready to to take the leap. (laughs) Next, probably it looks like maybe 30% or so just said, Mm -hmm. what is unattended access? Only two folks said we are currently considering it. Mm-hmm. And that surprised me that that wasn't higher. Mm-hmm. I me yeah. too. I wonder if they mean. I guess that's where like, do they mean like fully implement it or test it? I wonder if people are like we're looking oh, into it. If yeah. we are using it, that means everything uses it, and they're versus just like we have it. On yeah, a few that probably makes homes. sense. I bet. I bet you're right because I think I think one of those people have at least ordered a unit and are actively testing it out. So. And then only one, Amy from Sublime Homes. Yes, we do right. use it. Cool. And the comments here in Martha, not yet, but I'm keeping my eye on this. You should, Martha. I mean, anything that several organizations, large and kind of large-ish, like CBH is very large in their market in Idaho, uh, you know, they're going to use it on all of their homes. Zillow wow. uses unintended access on all of the oh homes that they purchase as part of the Zillow offers program. I think it's something that you talk to anyone. What would you think about this as a consumer? Oh my gosh, I would love that to be able to go tour whenever I want. Agreed. Yeah. So keep your eye on it for sure. Amanda uh, Bachman Druchel said, we used it for two months on a decorated model that we were trying to sell. We staffed it seven days a week, but this offered people access before and after business hours. And then Andrew you chimed in there and said, hey, what about those numbers? You know, How often was it used? And it seemed like... You know, their situation was this was a remote location, very high end home, and maybe people either just didn't want to go farther out or because of the price point, the target market was pretty small anyway. So it wasn't used a whole lot, but they're definitely going to use it again on a future inventory home or, yeah. or spec home. No brainer on specs. Yeah. And that's what I was I trying agree. to think. Seemed like a tougher sell. I'm like, well, it's a model home. Lots of people have been through it and it's been sitting there for a few months. Like, but yeah, sound like it was as high end, unique. It's, but it seems like so the the model home, ten houses down for me that you know the hours is ten a.m. to six, and I'm like, well, that'd be like driving from if you're like where Your I'm at, like day, if you leave yeah. work at like five thirty from Tampa, like you can't make six, and if you're going Mm-mm. to work, you're leaving at no one leaves at that time to like it. Just having that like seven a.m. to nine a.m. and then like six to eight for people that are commuting to be able to look in the model, even if you just use it on the model. I don't know if that's what people even think of like, Oh, could I have it on the model home? I don't know. Specs. I like that too. 
that idea. All I'd put it on everything all nowadays, yeah. honestly. I, pr- I probably would, but I was gonna say, if, like, if they already had like cameras and and they felt safer, like like oh, I don't know. But then there's furniture in there. People might be weird about that. I don't know if if there is like any like on if people are unsure. Maybe that could be like oh, it's already ready for this access, and there's people that live in the community. Like nothing weird's gonna happen if they're I, thinking I that like- at all. There's story – I just think back to through the years hearing stories that even when there is a lock without the unattended access, you still hear about break-ins and things being stolen. So, Or somebody coming in to tour the house and leaving the basement window unlocked so that somebody can come back later. I mean, I, to me, I think if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Uh, maybe that's just – I would do it on everything Yeah, uh, if I was a builder now – with the caveat of having a solid fundamental basics down around it, because if you're already struggling with sales or you don't have a, a rigid process that you can follow and make sure each part of it is working or not working, if you just throw this in and add this whole nother thing, you could, you could cause more problems or unintended consequences for yourself. But if you have a good solid online sales team, you have well-trained salespeople who use the CRM system, I, I don't think there's any downside for the customer getting access to the home. That's what they want. And in a lot of ways, this unintended access is similar to how iBuying is working out for people like Zillow and Opendoor and Offerpad. I'll talk more about this at the summit, but, but this really interesting stat that I shared with our team here from some research that I've been doing on this was, again, a talk that was uh, done at Inman Connect Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, where they said that even if iBuyers only end up getting to be a 5 to 10% market share in the next five years, um, that's, that's not a complete disruption of the business. But what they also said was that when you study Phoenix on its own, where iBuying has been around for five or six years already, and every major player is there and has spent money marketing about what iBuying is and how it works to the population, that I think his number was in the last six months, 40% of people who list their home said that they got an offer from an iBuying company first. Mm. And the really intelligent way that he talked about it was iBuying being the new Zestimate. Mm -hmm. If the Zestimate was how you got an idea of what your house was worth and you weren't sure how accurate that was, getting an actual written offer is the new Zestimate because that's actually what you could get for your home in cash. And I think in some ways, unintended access is the new point of entry for a lot of customers who aren't going to fall for your call to action, aren't going to fall for your gated content. Mm -hmm. They want to be in charge so strongly of that process that they're only going to, you know, go out and visit a home on their own. Mm -hmm. And so I I just think we've talked a lot about ways to make that better. And you want to make sure ultimately the goal is to get a human being there as quickly as possible after they enter that home unintended to still try to engage them and, and add that human connection and answer common questions and, and make sure they, they get the best possible service. But I'm definitely more and more in the camp of, I'd put it on pretty much everything with, I hope that yes number goes up. Around it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Love it. All right. Awesome. And this week's new question of the week is, have you ever used secret shops or your company use secret shops. Uh, there'll be a poll there. Yes, no, considered it, 
uh, used to, not anymore, etc. And then for this week's prize, we want to know what is the craziest thing that you've either seen on a secret shop video yourself, or you've heard of other people seen on a secret <laughs> shop video. Yeah, Uh-oh. keep it clean. Thais put in the, in the show notes here. I love uh, it. <laughs> I'm, 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 I know kids do listen to the show. They may also read comments on Facebook. I don't know. PG. And we had a couple people also ask, you know, how do I answer this question again? This is in the Facebook group, Market Proof Marketing Facebook group. Just uh, hop on over there. That's where all this interaction happens. We also throw in uh, news articles and just uh, random thoughts that we have throughout the week. So it's a good place to hang out with all these cool people. Yeah, super cool people. All right, for published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next time. See ya.